0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Turf Dudes, brought to you by Heralds. This is your host, Jack Harrell III. Our Turf Dudes are reaching out to industry leaders and game changers to discuss what they're seeing out there. If you have a topic you'd like to see or know of a Turf Dude with innovative work in the field we should feature, please let us know at turfdudes In today's episode, Dr. Jeff Atkinson covers the ins and outs of algae and its impact on turf with Dr. West Bishop algae scientist and water quality research manager from CPRO. All
1: right, welcome to another episode of Turf Dudes. My name is Jeff Atkinson, your host today, and today I'm do- joined by uh, Dr. Wes Bishop of CPRO, an algae and water quality scientist for CPRO Corporation. So Wes, thanks for joining me today. Hey, th- I appreciate thanks, your time. Thanks for having me, Dr. Atkinson. Excited to be on the podcast today. Yeah, so, so why don't we start out? Why don't you tell me a little bit about your background, um, okay. what you do, your role with CPRO, um, and to kind of the ins and outs of your day-to-day
2: operation. Great, Great. well I'm, I'm Dr. West Bishop. I've been at CPRO Corporation eight years now and oh. my title is LG scientist and water quality research manager. So I do all sorts of things from, from helping with technical sales support, new product development, uh, helping in the laboratory with samples that come in, just a little bit of everything related to LG water quality and overall water resource management. How in the world did you get into algae Man, water quality. Man, I've been in LG since the beginning. It seems like so. I, I got my bachelor's from Western Michigan, uh, focused on aquatic toxicology. Uh, went down to Clemson, started working with LG, and again, you know, other aquatic toxicology. I uh, got my master's down there at Clemson. I got my PhD from NC State, and really been focused on water resource management throughout my uh, academic career. And so you've been in a couple of different spots. I think, biasly, I'll say that Clemson was your best
1: stop, but that's I'm sure there's <laughs> other opinions national out champions. Here. All right, yeah. <laughs> Well, so. I think let's start out we're talking about algae. So just visiting with golf courses and visiting with landscape customers, anybody who manages the water body, there's always confusion about what's in their water for us. As turf managers, oftentimes uh, the water bodies are somewhat of a an afterthought. You know, in yeah. turf school, we're, we're taught how to manage turf. We're not taught really how to manage water with the exception of the effects that water quality has on directly on irrigation and turf health. But as far as turf what was growing in the water body, we we don't have a great idea about that. So um, no, we don't have the the aid of visuals here, but uh, can you talk a little bit about just the differences in the types of algae that, or uh, that you may run into or algae versus plants as well. And some of the confusions that we run into.
2: Yeah, good. It, you know, there's many different ways to classify algae. There's a whole host of different types of algae, but I'm going to put them in three broad categories for you today. Uh first is planktonic. So, these would be algae that are distributed through the water column. They can be all sorts of different colors. They just discolor the water, you know, green, blue, red, or brown. Uh, some of these can pop up and form scums too. So you just see this accumulated scum on the surface of the water body, usually this blue-green color, brown color, red color. Uh, but that planktonic group is sort of the first big group of algae. Uh, the next group, uh, I'll broadly classified in, is the mat formers. So these are often the filamentous, hair-like entanglements. These can form on the bottom of a system or pop up and, and so cover water body. So that's different from the scum that you say the plant tonic.
1: Correct, correct. It's a little bit thicker.
2: A little right? bit thicker. You can grab it like a big uh, thick mat or carpet you could pull off there. Uh, again, pretty common around the littoral zone of ponds and can even grow and cover the entire surface. So, And the, the last group would be uh, the macroalgae. So these sort of look like aquatic plants. They grow up from the bottom uh, like an aquatic plant, but they're truly a type of algae. Uh, some of them can smell really bad, but again, a pretty common type of, of algae is, is cara, which is a macroalgae.
1: And that's so, often mistaken for Aquatic plants, and is treated sometimes as, as an aquatic plant.
2: Correct. Now it's important to identify whether it's truly a aquatic plant or a type of algae, because some of those control strategies to just don't work. They don't cross both ways. And the the key difference there is algae, even though it's macro algae, they don't have any true roots, stems, or leaves. So if you pull something out of the water and you see, oh man, look at that root system, or that's a nice big leaf, you know that's definitely an aquatic plant. And there's you know different control strategies that match up to those aquatic plants uh, versus the algae. They don't have those true roots. They're still anchored, but not that true root system or a a leaf like a true plant would have.
1: Now, let's uh, just go ahead and talk about the control strategy aspect of it. You have, um, and the differences between those two, you have what are your control strategies for algae and what are your control strategies really for for aquatic weeds.
2: In in, in both groups, uh, again, we can classify it in three main ways. There's chemical, physical, and biological aspects of control. So I'll, I'll touch on biological quick. Uh, with aquatic plants, usually includes uh, grass carp, so they can eat some aquatic plants. They don't eat others. Uh, they don't like to eat some types of algae. But you know there is a biological control control strategy with, with some types of fish for aquatic plants. You got to be careful with grass carp. They could always shift it to a more turbid system, an algae-dominated system. Uh, decrease some of the water clarity, but again, pros and cons with some of the uh, biological control aspect. Physical controls would be more like uh, getting out there, raking it out, or getting a harvester. Um, You know, Maybe even some of the uh, aeration and circulation type systems can help mix things up, select for some better types, but that's often labor-intensive. Requires some equipment or some ongoing maintenance or electricity for that physical control aspect. Um, And the last one, sort of the biggest one, probably the most commonly used, is the chemical control. And uh, for aquatic plants, this is typically uh, U.S. EPA registered herbicides to control those. Uh, Cepra makes a lot of these different products. We can target different species. We can selectively take out some of the invasive or nuisance types and leave some of the other beneficials. It's no different than what, how we use
1: herbicides to control maybe crabgrass uh, and, and a desirable turf stand.
2: Yep. Ex- exactly the same. Just, you know, more specific toward that water resource and, you know, certainly all the studies and, and effort gone into uh, uh, registering them for that use.
1: Yeah. A question that we get a lot on the turf side of things is specifically for algae controls. A lot of our chemical control options are copper based yep. um, uh, formulations and say, so, well, is that going to have a negative effect on turf growth? Is that going to ha- lead to copper accumulation in my soil profile? And what's kind of your answer for, for that?
2: That, that, that's a good question. I, I think, first of all, I would say, yeah, there, there are a number of different copper algicide formulations. A lot of advancements have been made in the recent past to be more efficient with the use of copper, so we can actually put less out there and get the job done. Uh, also, with some of these formulations that, that I've been involved in developing, we're trying to stick it to the algae. So when we spray, we're sticking it right to the algae, controlling that algae, and then that copper ultimately goes down to the sediment. So, you know, using the right formulation, using a strategic amount Uh, using the most advanced formulation I think can really help keep the copper actually out of a lot of areas in the water that may be coming in the intake. And again, that copper goes down to the sediments, binds up in a non bioavailable form, doesn't just keep recycling up in, in the water. And, and one thing to note is, you know, the US EPA and all, all copper algicide labels, there's no irrigation restrictions to my knowledge, but you still want to be, you know, a, a good steward of the product and use them efficiently and follow label instructions. Yeah, absolutely. And part
1: of following label instructions is knowing your water body, right? Yeah, you got to yeah. know how much water is in, in the hole um, more or less so you get the right concentration.
2: Yep. Yep. No, no, the water, the the water quality can be important. The type of algae you have, uh, is very important to matching that up to the right formulation, getting that right prescription. To, um, you know, don't, don't go overboard, but uh, really, really target the problem.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's take a step back first and get kind of ahead of where we wanted to be. Why, why does somebody want to control algae in the first place? What's, um, if, if there's not a direct, um, aesthetic reason. You know, beyond that, what are some other reasons why somebody might want to take care of an algae problem?
2: Yeah, no, gr- great question. Uh, you know, aesthetics is certainly big. You see the scums, you see the mats. Sometimes it smells bad. Uh, sometimes they can harbor uh, mosquitoes and mosquitoes coming out of there. So aesthetics is a big uh, aspect of managing algae. But, you know, it goes beyond that. Like, like you said, if it's just aesthetics, lots of times that's the first thing that get Gets cut, and when I talk to golf course superintendents, yeah, aesthetics—that's that's that's okay. But we really need to tie it to uh, more aspects of the golf course. Mm -hmm. Now, a a lot of time and effort is spent managing those greens in particular, and then the importance of. Uh, that irrigation water quality you're putting on your greens is, is absolutely critical, and algae can negatively impact that in many different ways, too. So, that gets into not just aesthetics, but the next category I want to talk about is the functionality, so just the usability of the water. If you have too much algae or too many mats or even weeds, it can clog up intakes, it can clog those sprinkler heads, really uh, decrease the capacity and ability for you to irrigate on the functional side. You know, additionally on the functional side, some of those weeds can make it difficult to get in and out of the water. Um, you know, also uh, drainage, you know, in those uh, ditch mm-hmm. areas, if you got too many weeds, it could back up and, and cause drainage issues on the course. And even some of the algae in the irrigation water can, can cause, uh, turf algae infections, uh, other disease infections on the turf, and even add to that black layer, so causing some of that anoxy in those uh, lower turf layers. So, you know, not just aesthetics, but all those functional aspects of, of managing water is important. And, and the last one, you touched on it earlier, is the water quality side of things. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Algae can increase the pH, for example, and that can negatively impact uh, some of the efficacy of herbicides and fertilizers you're putting on your turf. Uh, Some algae produce uh, toxins, and these can actually have some allelopathic impacts on the turf as well. Allelopathic meaning that it can actually have some... I don't want to say herbicidal,
1: but it can have some negative yep. turf health effects. on.
2: Yep, so we've seen stunting. It's been recorded to see some stunting of the turf grass, some yellowing of the turf grass, just if you have toxins in that irrigation water you're spraying all over your turf. So, again, it's not just aesthetics. The, the water quality aspect, the functionality aspect makes it you know very critical to manage these water resources, especially your irrigation water resources.
1: Yeah, we, you mentioned the algae on putting greens or algae on turf surfaces. You know, you get into almost a... Um, turf death spiral sometimes yep. in summer when you're, uh, you have turf loss and then the areas where you have turf loss, algae quickly oh, yeah. invades and uh, you're trying to recover, but you're also trying to get rid of the algae all at the same time. And so certainly controlling some of the sources of the algae at the, at the source, um, yep. is a, is a pretty important, pretty important strategy. Yep. Now, when you look at, um, talking about our programs for algae control and weed control. Um, You know, just like we have in turf. We have pre-emergence herbicides, Mm -hmm. post-emergence herbicides, and we can create different programs uh, for weed control uh, using those tools and different strategies, uh, whichever a turf manager may choose. What are a couple of programs uh, that you see commonly in aquatic management that can be implemented on a golf
0: course?
2: Yeah, great question. And certainly the the proactive approach to managing both weeds and algae and water resources is, is ideal, you know. That way, you're not battling at midsummer, having to, you know, just treat it reactively every couple mm-hmm. weeks. Very hard to get ahead if, if, if you already get behind, especially midsummer when time is tight. So, being proactive is is ideal in, in terms of algae. There's some things you can do proactively. Uh, nutrient mitigation is often the biggest. If you can keep leaves and grass clippings and, you know, fertilizer from running into the pond, you can limit some of the algal growth in there. There's also some nutrient mitigation products. We have one called Foslock. Uh, Very safe, very benign, but just binds up phosphorus in the water body. And that can really help get you ahead, really limit some of the growth and biomass that that algae can attain and uh, make it easier to keep control of it later in the season. So phosphorus, that's our main nutrient that the algae is feeding off of. Yeah, yeah phosphorus is highly correlative to to nuisance algae types in particular and just overall algal biomass so a lot of those mats you see uh, thrive off of phosphorus um, a lot of the cyanobacteria those toxin producers uh, love phosphorus now nitrogen can be a big component uh, as well it's a little more difficult to manage that in water resources but you know that that phosphorus is really often the key limiting nutrient to algal growth now it's kind of an interesting concept
1: when you start talking about I guess the life cycle and the control of of algae as well. So if phosphorus is the main food source for, for algae, yep. um, if we control algae with just let' say copper sulfate
2: for example, mm-hmm. what happens to that phosphorus once that algal cell is killed? Yeah, no yeah, good, good question. Lots of times after that biomass is controlled, a lot of those nutrients just get recycled out. Usually, that bacteria decomposition, uh, which which can be a dissolved oxygen risk later in season two. You don't want that biomass there, uh, but uh, certainly that decomposition can just cycle out some of those nutrients and just refuel it. Those algae come right back, and uh, you you just get into this downward spiral where you got to treat every every couple weeks, especially in the heat of the summer, just to trying to stay ahead of it, and it's hard to get ahead. So, so. instead of how can somebody break that cycle? How can we
1: take? You mentioned lock yep. as kind of yep. a preventative measure, but are there? Is, can you use lock as as part of that? Uh, breaking the cycle, or are there other options out yeah, there? Yeah,
2: well? that's a great way to use it as well. So if you can't get it out early season or you end up uh, in the cycle in mid-season, you can certainly follow up an algicide application uh, with Foslock, try to break that cycle, bind it up so the algae don't just regrow and assimilate it back in. And, and one more technology we have is called SeaClear, Algicide and water quality enhancer, and it does both control algae and it binds up some phosphorus too. So in this routine program, if you want to start early on a SeaClear program, uh, you're you're catching that algae early, controlling it early, but you're also changing the game and binding up some of the phosphorus simultaneously. So that's a good C-Clear. product. And that's yeah. available in a couple of different formulations as well. Correct. Yeah, yeah. We, we started with a nice liquid formulation, easy to use, nice clean liquid, but we also have a granular formulation. I know a lot of people just like to throw out the granular, and you can do some neat spot treatment things if you have a little clump of algae here or there with the, the granule. So, yeah, we have two different formulations, C-Clear, uh, easy to use, and you know great great proactive and, and reactive product all in one.
1: um, Talk a little
2: bit about treatments, beginning a program,
1: getting ahead of a program and now our listeners are going to be from uh, the southern United States to the northern United States, so things are going to change, but when should a golf course manager or any other uh, landscape manager or any of these folks that are managing water bodies, when should they start considering making
2: applications? Yeah, it, it, that varies by territory. Certainly, there's some temperature cues when things start to grow. Um, you know, usually in that mid 50s to 60 temperature, that early springtime, you start seeing water temperatures. Yeah. You start seeing things grow. But in these times, more and more we're seeing algal blooms year-round. Unfortunately, I was talking to some guys today here. You know, snow on the ground, uh, January, things wow. are cold, and and they're already dealing with algal blooms on the pond. So there are some algae that are adapted to, to cold waters in the 40s that grow. In those temperatures, and we can certainly control them even in those cold water temperatures. So I just say, you know, at the first sign of growth, you know, keep an eye on the system at the first sign of growth, even if it's cold temperatures, you know, get out there, try to get it when it's actively growing.
1: If there's a, is there a temperature, is a copper-based copper algaecide equally effective for a cold water species versus a warm water species, or is there anything, is there uh, any, any effect on efficacy with, with water temperature?
2: Yeah, I, I get that question a lot, and and basically, if that algae is growing, if it's actively growing, if if it's a sunny day, it's actively growing. You can control it at very different temperatures with with our copper-based algae side. So even again, in that cold forty degree temperature water, we have see these blooms of many types of cold adapted species like spirogyra, but we can control it very very easily with something like a SeaClear product, and we have some other formulations like Captain XTR designed to really bypass a lot of those defense mm-hmm. mechanisms, work in the Different types of of waters because we're getting right to and into those algal cells. So the, I think formulation does make a difference, but as long as those algae are healthy and actively growing, we can definitely control them, even in cold water with copper.
1: Yeah, I don't want to minimize just by saying mm-hmm. copper-based algicides because there certainly are some other technologies oh, yeah. yep. that y'all that in, into the formulation of SeaClear and XTR that that SeaPro has introduced as well that helps extend the efficacy, but also give you more than just algae algae yep. kill yep. algae dieback. Um, the, as far as application goes, it, we addressed application timing, but for someone who doesn't make applications to a pond on a day-by-day basis, what's, what type of equipment do they need to be most effective at uh, killing algae
2: or aquatic weeds for that matter? What type of application equipment or what techniques? Yeah. Somebody need so, 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 with some of the accumulated scums and mats, it's usually good to get good coverage of those, and and often the liquids, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be an intense spray tank, uh, but even a small spray system or uh, you know the midsize spray tanks, anything to get out there and get good spray coverage. Uh, of those mats and scums is important. Uh, the granules can work too if you want to apply the granule and try to spread that out over those mats. Uh, that that works good in early season when those mats are just starting on the bottom. I like to get that granule right down on them. But once it's popped up to the surface, you know any sort of equipment that you can really you know get good spray coverage, you know cover cover that target plant or algae, um, is is going to work real well for you. What about
1: when when we get later in the season and you talk about the filamentous algae, how those thick mats that uh, is the copper yep. algicides are contact products yep. um, or contact solutions. What about, how, what's the best way to get those mats
2: yeah here. as you know once those mats get real thick and it's late season uh, it's it's difficult to get complete control of them um you know a lot of programs just sort of burn the top and you flip it over it's still green on the bottom you end up uh, chasing your tail there so you know a cu- couple things i think you know first of all formulation is important we have some again with a, a number of built-in surfactants and emulsifiers to help penetrate those mats a little bit better get better coverage xtr being yeah ca- that. captain xtr being probably the the best one in those tough situations and but also the equipment is important, as, as we mentioned there. At that time of year, it's better to have a little more um, agitation, try to tear up those mats physically. If you have a high-pressure hose, you can tear them up, or even if you can get a boat out there in the prop and sort of disturb them. So that way the products get more contact around to be able to even penetrate and control it more thoroughly. Yeah, but so. with the prop, uh, we've seen
1: some guys
2: with jet skis get out Oh there yeah before? tear it up tear yep. it up anything you do to sort of break that you know once once it gets together like that it's a whole new beast and much yep. harder to and I control think it, so. one
1: technique that I've seen commonly is if uh if an irrigation source is close by and you can tap into that and take a hose and, and break up that mat yep that you can get better yep yeah break as well. it up
2: agitate it up and then and then go out there and, and spray then yeah it's, all it's good. a good way
1: to do it all good techniques. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about dissolved oxygen and dissolved oxygen leads us to you know uh, the question of what's going to happen yep. to the fish when we treat these areas. and That's always an environmental concern and rightfully so. Um, we can look at it a couple of different ways. You, know, you got a pond with just a little infestation or you got a pond with complete coverage. Yep. What should the considerations for dissolved oxygen and fish health and just uh,
2: overall pond health be uh, when you're making a algicide application? Yep. So dissolved oxygen is very important in, in water resources, certainly for the aquatic life, but also can tie to some of the odors coming out if it goes anoxic. Um, important to keep an eye on how much biomass you have out there and how much you're treating at one time. Now, the label says don't treat more than a third to a half of the system uh, in any application just to allow some, some area for the fish, so allow some water that's, that's untreated. But you, you sort of have to go by feel a little bit. If it's just a little spot treatment or a little band around the edge, most of the time you can treat that whole thing and not have any issue. Um, later summer, though, there's less dissolved oxygen that can innately be dissolved in the water when it's warmer. So you still may want to be careful and just do a piece of the system at a time and sort of chop it down. But yeah, if you've got complete coverage of a pond, you, you probably have low dissolved oxygen as it is. And, you know, you probably just start with one quarter or one section at a time and slowly work your way around. And that's that's where it's better to be proactive and try not to let it get to that stage. Sure. Uh, but if it does, you don't want to treat the whole thing at once, especially if you have some sensitive wildlife in there, especially fish because yeah. um, that dissolved oxygen can be depleted, uh, with that degradation of the biomass.
1: And so. that, that kind of leads to another question we get frequently is what about if we have a pot, a koi pond or a trout pond, what, um, uh, th- those fish are very sensitive to yep. copper. Yep. Uh, those labels, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think yep. all of those labels say, do not treat koi ponds. do not treat, um, stay away from those what yeah. what are options if someone does have maybe an ornamental pond around a clubhouse or
2: Yeah, corn and trout are, you know, more sensitive fish species. You want to be real careful with them, often more expensive. And and certainly no one likes to have any sort of fish issues or or fish kills. It's never fun to deal with. So most of the time I'd I'd avoid copper-based algicides and herbicides. Certainly the EPA labels, like you mentioned, have those uh, warnings to, you know, probably don't treat in those scenarios. There are some formulations that are a lot safer than others, but for the most part, we just stay away from those. Uh, We do have a formulation called PAC-27. It's one of the original. Peroxide based algicides, sort of like uh, OxyClean. Really neat product, very safe product. Breaks down into oxygen and water. Peroxide's really doing the the oxidative action. You can see it bubbling when you mm-hmm. put it out there. But that's very safe for for those sensitive fish and you know these other sites. If you have any copper sensitive uh, areas, definitely the the PAC 27. That peroxide product is and that's you another look into. contact type solution. Yeah, so, contact type. It's a it's a small granule. Dissolves over time. But you want to put that right on those mats. Get good coverage of those mats or sprinkling it out there in the uh, in the scums as well. But uh, re- real neat product. I, I Certified NSF certified for, for drinking waters, but again, breaks down to oxygen and water adds oxygen to the water. Uh, very safe, very airproof. Uh, again, no irrigation restrictions, mm-hmm. won't hurt your turf. Um, so, it's a real neat product. Yeah, the no so. irrigation restrictions is very important yep. in our world. Um, so.
1: Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about weed control. We focused a lot on algae control so far and uh, try to keep things simple in the golf market. You know, we yep. have another C Pro has a lot of different active ingredients that are appropriate for a number of different water body situations, uh, inflows, outflows, uh, different mm-hmm. types of species, uh, leaving desirable species yep. while, uh, taking care of or ridding of, uh, invasive species. Uh, but what are a couple of approaches for, I guess, let's break it into two areas, yep. irrigation ponds and, and non-irrigation ponds. Gotcha.
2: What are our options there? So in, so in the non, non-irrigation ponds, um, for submerged weeds, you know, the, the easy choice is. So our we, there. Yeah, growing they're under, under the, the water. water, they're growing up from the bottom of the water. Um, you know, one of, one of the best approaches is using a product called Sonar, active ingredient fluoridone. And this broad-spectrum control, you can get it in there early, um, get it out there across the pond and control. Uh, a, a lot of different types of submerged weeds, or almost all different types of submerged weeds, with that early uh, Sonar. Sonar 1 is one formulation program. Uh, mm-hmm. Get it out there, just get it out there early, uh, controls those weeds, you never let them get out of hand you don 't have to bat on late season and, and I will say that sonar can be used in some irrigation ponds too now read and follow the label, but if you keep the the concentration below the ten part per billion that 's irrigation restriction uh, we haven 't really had any issue with sonar with at those those rates whatsoever it 's only in some unique scenarios where sonar can 't be used in irrigation so e- even in those irrigation systems you know keep an eye on sonar early season uh, weed control and uh, long-term weed control, and as that's
1: well. something that certainly you can uh, consult with a CPro technical specialist to. Uh, yeah, get, get that write right that prescription. Yeah, get for that you.
2: right prescription from from Harrell's or your C-Pro technical specialist. But yeah, we can be real strategic uh, with that product and certainly with the formulation. Be very very safe on turf, even with uh, sonar and irrigation systems. How about
1: in-season control for uh, irrigation ponds?
2: In in-season in control, we, we have a number of products. Uh, we have some copper-based uh, herbicides. Uh, com- comine is one common one. It's both mm-hmm. a liquid and a granule. Uh, but again, no irrigation restrictions on that. Very broad spectrum, very effective on all those submerged types of weeds. And it'll kill some of those macroalgae too, so you don't have to get too intense on yeah, identifying right them. So, And some of those macroalgae, you pick them up and they look just like plants. So there's yep, a lot of confusion yep. there. So yeah, combing works well. And, and you can mix that with Diquad or Reward. Um, it's a good product. Those two tank mix well together and gets a very broad spectrum. But just, just read that Reward label and any uh, irrigation restrictions, maybe a couple of days on that. Sure, so, sure. Um, and then something that's also important in the golf market, cattails. Yeah. What you got for cattails? Oh, cattails, hands down the best product for cattails is called Clearcast. So Masmox is the active ingredient there. Uh, it works a little bit slower because you got to get that product down all through the rhizome. A lot of a lot of underground biomass of cattails. There's a big rhizome mat there Big, is, yeah. big, a lot of biomass underground. So you know, give Clearcast a couple of weeks to work. You know, um, mix it with an MSO surfactant, really help penetrate. You know, let those cattails get up a couple feet before you treat them. But, That's uh, an important point there. The MSO as well. MSO is real important for the for the penetration translocation. But uh, Clearcast, great product, man. It, it'll kill them and they won't come back. Now compare that to your experience with just uh, glyphosate. clear
1: cast their efficacy on cattails
2: so glyphosate can be effective I I mean big thing with glyphosate you got to worry about that spray drift too I mean if it blows back on your turf you could have a bad day there clear cast on most grasses is is very safe I know you've done some work on it It actually acts more like a plant growth regulator on a lot of those grasses so again a little more airproof you don't have to worry about spilling or dripping or spray drift getting back on your turf Uh, but clear cast you get more thorough control of the cattails as well they're gonna eventually drop out quicker and they just won't regrow. So the glyphosate may just give it a burn and not necessarily get that systemic control.
1: Now what about the the size of a cattail when you can treat it? Some I guess there's a question, I get a question often says do we need to treat it when it's a foot tall, six feet tall, cut it down, treat it, what's your recommendation?
2: And and that's where glyphosate's usually got to wait till later season when it's full grown to to really get a good impact out of the glyphosate. Clear cast you can treat any time of year. You can definitely treat earlier in the year but I still like to get them up you know about a foot or two out of the water at least just so they have that surface area so you can really get that penetration of the product, absorb that product in there to get them. But yeah, you can treat them any time of year. can still be very effective. It doesn't just have to be uh, late summer or fall. Right. Well, uh,
1: we've covered a lot of a lot of topics. We've covered algae, different types of algae, differences between algae and and weeds, how to control both of those situations. And certainly um, there's a lot more information that we we could talk about. But what's a good resource? Where where can Where can someone go to learn more about algae, the different types of those, different types of weeds, how to control those? Uh, but where would you point someone to?
2: Yeah, so uh, you know, I, th- I think the technical reps here at Harolds certainly, CPro, get a hold of those guys, uh, talk to them. Uh, we have a pretty neat website, but I will put a plug in here for a informational video series <laughs> that we, we started recently <laughs> called called the LG Corner. So I'm I'm the host of the LG Corner. We have a lot of informational episodes, uh, mostly focused on LG, but all things water resource management related uh, as well. It's freely available on YouTube or if you go to lgcorner.com. But we have episodes that talk about what are LG and how to identify LG growth types and growth factors, uh, you know, why you need to have your uh, water analyzed laboratory services, uh, reasons you have a fish kill out there, uh, science behind a lot of our products and, and solutions. Uh, we have some new episodes coming specific to the golf course management, you know, specific to managing uh, waters on the golf course and irrigation waters on the golf course too. So make sure you subscribe at LGCorner.com. But it's a neat informational resource that we developed just this past year. Yeah, so. yeah that's neat. I've so. seen a few
1: episodes of it. It's uh, your excitement for algae comes through. So, uh, you mentioned sure about you the point. laboratory services, and I, I didn't plan to talk about that, but something worth mentioning, specifically uh, the algae ID service, that, that you uh, really do a lot of the work on yourself. Um, can you just summarize that for yeah, us? Yeah,
2: so I, I'm based at a research campus in North Carolina, small little town, but you know, neat area. We do a lot of research down there, but that's where we have our laboratory. And uh, I helped develop this service called C-Script, and basically what it is, you send in us a water sample and or an algae sample. We take a look at it and we, we can get back to you and tell you, yeah, you're in good shape or you have this type of algae or that type and make some recommendations on a control. So it's a real neat service, been growing quite rapidly. Takes up an amount of your time. A <laughs> lot, lot, lot of time and effort, but it really helps us get a better idea of what's going on in your specific site, uh, water right. in that pond, and really help tailor us. Um, prescription to that problem because you can so, do an algae
1: ID but you can also do all the water testing you can look yep. at nutrients yeah we can look at all sorts
2: of nutrients background water quality parameters we, we've uh, you know created some of these uh, bundles just to make it easy just check a bundle uh, but yeah I'll take a look at the LG2 and really help get back to you and say hey this is what you got uh, you know this is you know some of the issues you may have in your water quality and what we can do about it and this is going to be the best approach to managing that that type of LG may be dealing with. Yeah,
1: you mentioned the aquatic bundles, some Seapro has put together for specifically for the golf course market yeah. to try to make which products do I need that question easier, yep. I yep. guess. And so, uh, can you mention which ones or what, what's it?
2: Yeah, so, yeah, we, we have a lot of different products and you got to match those up to the, the right weed, but we tried to simplify it. Like you said, there are some aquatic bundles. These are based on, a, you know, one acre. Uh, of water and we have some that's specific to just algae. If you're only battling algae, we got an algae aquatic bundle. We have some for uh, non-irrigation ponds, uh, you know, for aquatic weed control and non-irrigation ponds. Uh, we, we have some for aquatic weed control uh, post-emerge if you're more reactive and it's already up. Uh, so th- the the base products in those bundles we've talked a lot about today are the, the Clear, uh, the Captain XTR, uh, combing and, and the sonar. Uh, and, and we, we have some things for more of the emergent, the cattails as well, but we have some base bundles, make it easy for you guys. Just, mm-hmm. Hey, I got one acre of algae or I got one acre of weeds and algae. What do I do? You know, sign up for one of those bundles. And, so just, and re- got it.
1: Those, those are designed so. for one acre for one year of control yep, yep. in the average environment. So yep. that's not mm-hmm. going to be true for, you know, Texas me be a little different than what we're talking about in Michigan but it's a it's a good starting it's a, it's
2: a good start we can always add things on to it if you want to add on some some dyes or or you got some cattails you want to add on some clear cast we, we can certainly do that and be adaptive but it gives you a good base program and for you know 80 plus percent of the ponds that's gonna get you that season-long control right um, you know keep good, it great result keep it simple so just sign up for one of those bundles keep it real simple include some of these technologies we talked about
1: great so. great well I appreciate your time today uh, is there anything else that
2: no, questions you
1: receive or we no, covered a lot.
2: Yeah we, we covered a lot today. I, I appreciate you having me on the uh, podcast here Dr. Atkinson. I think we learned a lot but yeah I, I'm always available certainly CEPRA has a lot of technical specialists available so please feel free to get a hold of us um, you know if we have any uh uh, thing we can provide, we'll definitely do that. But if you have any specific questions, uh, we're, we're available. You know, you get a hold of us through through Harrells, too. We'll answer anything you may have. So.
1: All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Again, thank you, Dr. Wes Bishop from CPRO uh, for joining us and spending a little bit of time with us today. Uh, please join us again for another episode of Turf Dudes.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Turf Dudes. To send Dr. Atkinson and the Harrells Turf Dudes team your questions or comments, or to be featured on an upcoming episode, reach out to us at Turf Dudes on Twitter or by email to TurfDudes at Harrells.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music or tune in directly at www.TurfDudes.com. Send your questions to at Turf Dudes on Twitter or by email to TurfDudes at Harrells.com. Turf Dudes is spelled T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S.